I'm Derek Jones, and you're listening to the Lost and Found podcast, where we engage in conversations with ordinary people who live extraordinary lives by giving themselves away and serving others. Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon, once said, you have to be willing to be misunderstood if you're going to innovate. Well, my guest today is one of the most innovative young leaders I have met, and I think he is often misunderstood. He is an entrepreneur, and dare I say, a social entrepreneur who has an eye for social engagement that creates environments where gospel engagement can take place naturally. He is more concerned about following the missional pathway God has laid before him than he is about what others expect of him. He is a valued friend and a kind of guy you just want to hang out with from time to time. He is a model of forward visionary thinking, and he and his wife Jody are both fully engaged in making their community a better place. Their passion and deep sacrifice over the past decade are a model for all of us. Most of you will never get to meet my good friend from Miramichi in person, so I thought I would bring him to you. So come and sit with us for a spell as we spend some time with my dear friend, Victor Summers. We're in such a strange season. We're on about week eight of this COVID-19 restriction in our province, and I'm hoping that the Premier announces that we go to phase two today while we're actually recording this. But uh, how are you and Jody doing? Uh, this is a strange time for folks. It is, absolutely. And we've we've been affected as, as everyone in the Maritimes, everyone all over the world has. New Brunswick has fared a, a bit better than other jurisdictions. But, you know, we're, we're, we're all just getting a little stir crazy now. And I'm, I'm like you. I'm hoping the Premier makes some, some decisions to kind of lighten things up a little bit. We're going to get into how it affected us and ministry-wise, uh, I'm sure, a little later on in, the, in our chat together. But uh, yeah, we're looking we're looking forward to getting back to normal. Definitely, Jody is fine. She manages the cafe here, which has seen a, a downturn as well. Just before actually we we uh, the the outbreak, uh, my son who's nineteen moved out of the home for the first time. Uh, so we were empty nesters at the same time, and then of course being apart from him, and there were a lot of tears uh, shed. Uh, in those long evenings when our, our son wasn't around anymore. Jody didn't cry as much as I did, but yeah. Well, I, I was probably, I was going to say she was probably crying because she was holed up with you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Not enough distractions around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, when we connected back, I don't know if it was 2013 or not. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you, what year did you move to the it, it was It was earlier than that. Probably 2011 was, was our first, okay. our first time. We were on the ground here uh, in Miramichi later on that summer, uh, July uh, 2011, and we, we, you know, catalyzed the new church early 2012. Okay, so yeah. it was then probably uh, March, February or March in 2011. Yeah. And uh, we sat at a Tim Hortons in uh, Halifax, and we were getting to know one another, and you kept referencing your dad. You'd yeah. say, well, dad this, or my dad that. And finally, I asked the question, who's your dad? Mm-hmm. And when I found out it was Vince Summers, I thought, man, I've met this guy before, but you were about five years old then, or would have been, I think. Yes. It was probably 88, 87, maybe uh, up at Camp Shiktihawk, north of here. We were doing a family camp, and your family was working with the children during that, and you were one of the puppeteers, I think. You would only have been about five years old. Yeah, I would, they, they were dragging us around the Maritimes doing puppets almost. I mean, some of my early memories is trying to get that puppet outside the, the puppet box. I mean, we could, <laughs> we could barely reach, right? Me and my sister and my brother, we were all involved. Many summers spent at little country churches around, uh, around the provinces doing vacation Bible schools. Uh, Mom and dad were missionaries with, with with the Canadian Sunday School Mission. Just very fond memories. You know, some, sometimes it was hard. I mean, our summers were filled up with ministry, uh, six, seven, eight weeks of, of Bible camp at McKendrick Lake, and, and then later on at uh, McGraw-Brook Campground. And then we'd hit the road, uh, usually doing a, a few weeks of vacation Bible school, and then through the through the winter as well, we were busy. So yeah, it was a, it was a 
family uh, a family ministry, family affair. One interesting thing that I always tell people, and, and maybe keep this on the down low, don't tell anybody this, but, you know, a lot of these country churches you go to, they don't have any outdoor space. And so I tell people that I've probably ran a Wana Games in every cemetery in the province that Dad would lime out uh, an Awana square uh, because we, we love the Awana ministry as well, if, if anyone listening knows about the Awana ministry. But Dad would lime out an Awana square in the cemetery, kind of, you know, find a convenient spot in between the headstones. And that's where we ran ran games, game time. We had a, we had a blast. We really did. And I'm still bumping into people uh, all over the place uh, that remember uh, my parents, as you did, uh, remember my parents and, and I guess us in some respect uh, from those times. How foundational was that for who Victor Summers became? Looking back, I think it was pretty pivotal for me in many ways. Of course, it was my spiritual development, teaching the gospel, teaching Bible stories and so on from a very early age. But I think even more so than that, uh, you know, I watched mom and dad's ministry. Although they were vocational, oftentimes through their ministry life, I never felt that it was their job. You know, Dad was a high-capacity volunteer at church. They were in and out of, I suppose, full-time ministry, vocational ministry, where they were getting paid to do it. Uh, but Dad always had a sense that this was a lifestyle for, for he and Mom, and therefore for, for our family. So I think that was kind of the biggest thing for, for me, the biggest takeaway. I mean, the new buzzwords now that we talk about in ministry is bivocational or now co-vocational, this idea that, yes. you know, you're 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 a full-time minister this is what you do, uh, but you have passions apart from that, that that kind of work into ministry. And and looking back, I mean, this is kind of new for us, but, you know, this is what mom and dad did. Dad worked at the mines and, and did ministry. You know, it was it was the way he funded uh, the ministry. He was, you know, they managed a, a provincial park here in the province and had a Bible camp there. I mean, these these were things that I, I never really saw them as as separate. And you get to work with your dad some again now because I know you've helped him out. He's, he's not very far from where you are. And during this time, you're working with your dad a little more, more closely, live streaming on the weekend. How sweet is it? Because, listen, some of the fondest memories I have is working with my dad. So yeah. how sweet is that? Yeah, it's it's really it's really cool. I think when we all discovered uh, as pastors, I guess church leaders that we were going to have to go online, you know, I asked mom and dad what they were planning and you know, of course, and dad's 75 and uh not real quick on the uptake when it comes to technology, so you kind of got that blank stare. <laughs> he just did <laughs> did not have a plan. And um so I said, "Well, why don't you jump on with me?" I w- I had 2 weeks uh, of Facebook Live. And so I said, come on, jump on with me, and we'll just kind of tag team the time together. And that's what it turned into. Uh, you know, he comes in, we're, we're live on Facebook on Sunday morning. We invite his Victory Baptist Fellowship. We invite his people uh, along with our people and whoever else checks in with us. We're just having a blast. It, it really is a lot of fun. You look at that and you say, well, sure, we'd like to get back to normal, but you're making a memory that's going to last you yeah. The rest of your life, this time with your dad, where he got to learn, well, he would say, uh, teaching an old dog new tricks, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, and well, it's, all reco- it's all recorded. Well, that is just the beginning of my conversation with Victor Summers. Vic is one of the most likable guys I know, and what he and the folks with him in Miramichi, New Brunswick, have done is nothing short of spectacular. Before we get back to Victor, there are a couple of things, though, that I would like to talk with you about. You have probably noticed that we have not published a new episode in about three weeks. I am so sorry to say that I just got so busy with COVID-19-related issues that there was no margin in my schedule for me to put out a new episode. We have been recording video each week at our church, and as the curve flattened and our province was able to open up, there were operational plans and lots of other things that just took all the energy I had and then some. So first of all, thank you for listening to this episode today. We are back at it producing new content, and we look forward to being able to produce new episodes on a regular basis. Secondly, 
Our intent has always been to be listener-supported so each episode could be advertisement-free. But we knew that in the first few months we would need to just focus on building a listening audience. It's not that we didn't have bills. We did, and we do. There were construction and equipment costs before we launched, and there are ongoing monthly hosting and subscription fees that have to be paid. So since some of you have asked, if you would like to support Lost and Found, you can do it one of two ways. First, you can click on the support link at the bottom of the show notes. That will take you to our website donation page at lostandfoundpodcast.ca slash donate. Just follow the steps and indicate your choice of a one-time or recurring monthly donation or both. Our Canadian listeners can also give through Interact e-transfer to hello at lostandfoundpodcast.ca. For us, the most important thing is building our audience, and I want to thank those of you who have shared an episode on your social media feeds. And thank you in advance to those who choose to support us financially. Now let's get back to my conversation with Vic Summers. I had mentioned seeing Victor for the first time when he was five years old running a puppet. When we reconnected back in 2011, he was then a husband and dad and a a children's pastor. So when we sat down a few weeks ago for this episode, I asked Vic what was going on in his life in 2011 that had led to our getting together to talk about something he was thinking of doing. Yeah, I was on staff at the time at Stone Ridge Fellowship in Halifax and enjoying some really good ministry there. Uh, we were pastor of children's ministry at Stone Ridge and just really enjoying it. We would come home for vacations, uh, staycations, I guess, back to the Miramichi. I think it was 2008 that really captured my attention. You know, the entire world was going through a bit of an economic downturn. Uh, most of the Maritimes were a bit protected from that bubble burst in 2008, but the Miramichi had realized some, some major closures with the pulp mill and uh, lumber and and so on. And uh, so it was pretty depressing around here. So that was a seed that was planted, I think, around 2008. I was thinking, what could we do to contribute to bringing hope back to this area? That was kind of just a, just a, in 2008, was just kind of a spark uh, that was set for us. A lot of uh, families, the men or women, uh, one of the parents was working out west. And so we had a lot of temporary single uh, parenting going on in the river as mm-hmm. well, which brings a lot of problems uh, with it. God just started to, to work in me at that time that coming back to the river, to Miramichi, uh, might be a possibility for us. What was your biggest challenge you faced as you came back? <laughs> Initially, it was telling my wife uh, that we were coming back. At the time, we were we were holed up in a beautiful rental property in Hubbard's, uh, right on the beach. And uh, we again, we you know we were enjoying great ministry. The church was going very well, and I felt a good fit for children's ministry given my background as well. I loved the ministry, uh, so that was kind of the first hurdle, but. You know, she very quickly said, obviously, God's God's put this on my heart and eventually put it on her heart. But really, it was, you know, after that, it was finding a partner to to help us. And uh, that's that's when you and I connected. Uh, I had checked out a couple of other denominations and church planting organizations. And just nobody was far enough along, I think, to give us the support that mm. I felt we needed. You know, CNBC had such robust assessment tools, uh, which is really the biggest thing we we needed at the time, uh, was to just identify some of the blind spots, perhaps, in our leadership and in our marriage and uh, in our character and so on. So, uh, you know, going through that process was was very important to us. A lot of people said no to us even uh, as well. I tried not to take it personal, but for whatever reason, you and CNBC said yes. I don't know if you've regretted it since. (laughs) Well, I'm just thankful that um, I wasn't in the list of biggest challenges. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. at least I didn't say. At least you didn't say, well, you know, I'm not responsible for any funding, and you're off funding years ago. So <laughs> Years ago, probably, yes. Probably in a pretty good uh, spot 
that way. What, what was the most significant thing you learned during those early years? Because I remember when we went to Utah and we started a congregation there, we arrived and we were excited, but uh, it was almost like, what did I just step into? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, we could talk for hours, I'm sure, on, on some of the pitfalls and problems that come up with church planting. I think for me, the biggest thing was just the, the ideas and perceptions that I had going into it and how drastically different they are seven, eight years later uh, with what the ministry looks like compared to what I had in mind. I, I really, you know, I was coming from a, a great church, coming to an area with really great churches. And, and so I knew that if we were going to, you know, have impact in the city that, uh, you know, it needed to be somewhat different. You know, new churches reach new people, and I, I definitely wanted to do something a little different. But I, I think I had more of a program-driven church in mind. The dynamics of the city, I'll get into that a little bit now, we're, we're kind of, you know, two cities in one. You know, Miramichi is, is, we have Newcastle and Chatham, so, you know, there was some learning there, too, and I, I kind of thought at the time that we were going to minister to the entire city, realized very quickly that if we were going to minister to Chatham, we had to be in Chatham. But no, looking back, I, I thought we were just going to maybe do church better better than it's than it's been done and that was going to be our our ministry and and God had something very different in mind so you you learn as you go i think one of the biggest things too is and and again i had great training great people around me from uh canadian national baptist convention uh, a lot of tools been put in my hand over the over the months leading up to it i tell people that you know it kind of had the f- top 10 list of things not to do and i don't know if it was god's leading or just my stubbornness i kind of worked through all 10 and 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 actually did every one of them every mistake that they told you not to make i I went ahead and did it but you know looking back some of them some of them were mistakes uh some of them i think were more like leadings yeah and uh so so I think that was an important lesson for me. And I tell new church planters all the time, uh, you know, I think there is a, a best practices when it comes to doing this and, and certainly understanding and, and learning from, from other men and women that have been in the field and doing what they're doing. But really, uh, it takes being in the community, finding out where God is leading and get on board with that. Yeah, you'd mentioned that there were just some perception changes. I I think I heard one being that instead of being programmatic, or I'm going to use a different word, more attractional, Mm -hmm. I think your approach has been more incarnational. We could unpack that a little later on maybe, but how else has your perception changed? I, I think the way God has stretched me as a leader and what I'm comfortable with was a big uh, learning curve for me. I am currently in some really deep water, wading pretty deep with with what I'm expected to do and what I'm expected to lead. You know, the idea that this community needed another Sunday morning service that had all the, I guess, all the the bells and whistles that come along with that, the, the idea that this community needed another building to show up at on Sunday morning, which is, I mean, I'm a sucker for big church. I'm a sucker for a great worship service. Yes. Um, you know, but very soon after landing here in, in Chatham, I mean, we sit in the shadow of St. Michael's Basilica here, a beautiful uh, Roman Catholic Basilica, which kind of in my mind stands as, as a bit of a monument, maybe to the past and what worked in the past. Uh, you know, it certainly was jam-packed 40, 50 years ago, but stands as a monument to me on, on how we need to make sure that we're, that our, our ministries are resourced in a different way yes. and that we're trying to discover different ways to share the gospel and to connect with people and to not only represent God, but represent God in our context. Well, and you had mentioned doing things that uh, they said not to do, and yet some of them you felt was God's leading. And and one of those, I expect, was that we normally tell a church planter that a building is just out of the question. Out of the question. Don't buy (laughs) a building. And all of a sudden, I get a phone call, and you're wanting to buy a building. But that really became key to how you gained an entrance back into the community. Yeah. 
Yeah. Of course, let me back up a bit. I'm not from, I'm from Miramichi, but I'm not from Chatham. Right. So I realized very early on that we had to do something dramatic if we were going to make any impact. I mean, I don't even have the right last name. There's no Summerses uh, from my side of the Summerses. Uh, and of course, small town, they, they, they always ask who your father is. So <laughs> I couldn't even fake it. I was going to put an O in front of my name and make it more Irish. But so, so I knew we had to do something dramatic, something drastic. And, uh, yeah, there was an old, uh, closed up theater, uh, that I just could not walk past without having these thoughts. Of course, you know, I'm, I was constantly looking f- for ways, you know, to gather differently. But this idea of how do I impact this community kept cropping up. And so one conversation in the afternoon, I didn't tell many people that I was thinking about this, but I, I had one conversation with a gentleman, an influencer here in the community. He told me who to talk to. 45 minutes later, I was standing in the lobby with the owner, one of the partners, and uh, we were doing the deal on the old Vogue Theater. It had been closed for 12 years. And, and so we, we moved to purchase it, and it was, it was a purchase. At the time, there was a handful of us at church, six of us. I remember, Derek, you were there the first time I took everyone up to, you know, this big vision cast. We were meeting at a cafe downtown, and uh, there were uh, 12 of us that walked up to the theater. This was the big pitch, and I had two of my friends that were helping me church plant, and and, uh, I grew up with them, so they give me no respect at all. One of them I'm related to. So they just razzed me over this big, stupid idea. I mean, it it was more money than we could afford. There were only a handful of us at church, maybe six of us that were actually connected with Eastside Church. I knew it was ridiculous, and they reminded me that it was a ridiculous idea. And I remember at the time, Derek, we were standing on the on the porch out front, and we looked across the across the way, and there was another large building, took up a whole city block here in Chatham, and it had a big for sale sign on it too. So one of the ways that they kind of communicated to me that this was stupid, they said, well, why don't we buy that building too across the way? It's for sale, and and then we'll have both corners. Like, why why only have one big white elephant building that we can't afford? Let's buy two. So I, I kind of brushed them off a little bit. And anyway, we moved to purchase the Vogue Theater and started renovating it. In fact, I started pulling you know rotten floor up before we even had the deal done. I got the keys later on that that week. So yeah, so we we started moving towards renovating the theater and giving it back to the city. I, I really had had communicated from the beginning to our people and to the community and that this was not going to be Eastside Church. It wasn't going to be our sanctuary or our building. I never had a plan to put a steeple on it or to put, you know, our logo anywhere on the building or crosses or anything. Uh, we really wanted to give the theater back to the community, and that's what we moved ahead to do. You know, one of the first events I came to after you had the building opened, I think, was a premiere showing of a documentary that had been done mm-hmm. on the Eskimanak disaster. And yes. there were like two or 300 people there that night. And it gave you such broad access into the community. And then, of course, you did obtain that building across the corner, and I started calling you the land baron of the Miramichi. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was about probably about two years later that the owner of that building called us and, and wanted to know if we wanted more more space. With that building, you have done something really interesting in there because you've turned that into a cafe and something else, right? Yeah, of course. I didn't say yes right away to the to the second building. It was 19,000 square feet. Again, took up a whole city block. The church had grown, of course, but we still weren't, you know, to the place where you purchase large parcels of land or building. So I didn't say yes right away, but, uh, you know, it came down to, God, what, what do you have in store for us? What's your plan? And, and trying to say yes. Uh, so we started to chunk it, you know, uh, just kind of moved into it. We're not even into the whole building now, but probably about uh, 30% of the building is being used right now. Uh, we have a, a beautiful cafe, which is just a beloved 
space downstairs, a, a bumping in space for our community that's very popular. And, uh, and this is a full espresso bar. I mean, it's legit coffee. One of the things I, I determined when I started Eastside Church is that we weren't going to be a church that had bad church coffee. Yeah, and you know exactly what I mean. I do. We weren't going to have bad church coffee. So we worked very hard to make sure we had good coffee. And uh, so we have a beautiful cafe downstairs. I, I rent space. Uh, we have a dance studio in here, Chastity's uh, Dance Palace. Uh, she has about 120 students at her classes. And, and process over the years. Um, now in another part of the building, we have a dojo and I coach uh, judo and uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. We have about 65 uh, members in our uh, in our martial arts club here. I affiliated with uh, Fight Church Las Vegas, and uh, we have a ministry called Fight Church, which is uh, basically a, a free uh, martial arts uh, jiu-jitsu and judo primarily. It really is a ministry. It's it's an on-ramp for people to get to know us again. So I have students, uh, both children and adults, coming out to that as well. And so both corners, the city started to see some activity, a corner that was very depressed. The theater was closed down. This building was closed down. There was another old uh, warehouse uh, adjacent to us that was had been boarded up. Cassidy's uh, beverages had been boarded up for years. The life started to come back to this this area of town. A couple of stories that come up just to demonstrate that uh, we had mowed the lawn. Literally, you could not see the theater from Wellington Street. And, and so one of our first activities as a group, we got out and mowed and weed whacked and so on. And people were like, man, I can't believe what you did with the place. And we literally, that's all we literally did. In fact, Derek, you had mentioned earlier your memory of, of the Chamber of Commerce giving us an award. I got a call one day from the Chamber of Commerce and they said, we want to give you an award uh, for the community impact that you've had in this area. And we literally had not opened yet. I'm not sure if we have, had even done one event um, because it took us about a year and a half to get into it. And secondly, I said, well, you know, it's not me. Uh, I'm just a pastor of Eastside Church and it's Eastside Church that is, has done the work here. Do you still want to give it to us? <laughs> and there was a pause on the phone. I mean, she had already asked, so I guess she had to go for it. And so we had accepted a, we accepted an award very early on from the Chamber of Commerce uh, for the work that we've done in the community. And then secondly, when the cafe opened here and there was all this energy around this other building, I had a lady come to me. She said, I grew up here. I've been in this community actually just on this block for the past 45, 50 years. She said, I've never seen a crosswalk painted on Wellington Street. And there had been so much traffic here over the last number of years that the city officials, I never made a phone call or nothing. City officials felt that they needed to paint a crosswalk. And she said, that's just never happened. Uh, mm. Even when the Vogue Theater was was booming, that up until 2000, it was the only place to see a movie in Miramichi. Uh, so those are just some stories that were coming out and people were starting to recognize, hey, things are coming back to life here. This is really exciting. Well, I think the magic of this is you mentioned on-ramp, and you have taken each of these, whether it's um, with the Vogue Theater and the events that you host there, or it's in the creative arts and the dojo section mm -hmm. of what you do across the corner or in the coffee shop, and you've made each of those an on-ramp for relationship building and then proclamation of the gospel that comes as trust develops. Walk us through how you've done that. I determined early on that what we needed was influence in the community. I felt that people wanted to see us do some heavy lifting as far as making community prosper and, and making the community a success. I, I really felt historically, and it's, it's contrary to popular belief, and it's not a popular uh, idea, but historically, if you look back, everywhere that Christ followers went, they made their community better. They made their city better. And very early on, I said, how do we matter to more than just the people that show up on Sunday to a program? We still yeah. we still do Sunday morning service. But how do we ma really matter to this community? We need to make some major investments. We need to work very hard to garner major influence in the community. I don't think I had a conscious thought of that. But as we started taking small steps, I recognized, oh, this is going to work. You know, it was that Chamber of Commerce coming that first time. And I said, wow, this community mm. really loves this old building. You know, yeah. we got to work harder to make it even better. And we just recently did a huge renovation uh, on the washrooms over there. So we're continuing to make it better. 
And then there was the, you know, there was the cafe when it opened. You look at people who are starting to connect with your church. You start to listen to people who say that they're part of Eastside Church, but yet they've never come to a Sunday morning service, which just still blows my mind. You start to look at who shows up to events or pivotal for me, and it just happened within the last probably three years since the cafe opened, the old patriarchs of this community, the old guys that have the right last name for Chatham, and they started to show up at the cafe. And of course, they represent dozens and dozens and dozens of, of family, and they, they have influenced themselves. They started to show up at the cafe, and this was their cafe. This was their space, and, and we constantly continue to just give it away. So those are things that I look for. Influence, because influence can be leveraged for the gospel. So now I mean, we're, we're in a really unique season right now and have been for the next while and probably are going to be there for a couple of years mm-hmm. uh, with this COVID-19 pandemic. But you've been really active in a number of areas in the community. And one of them is uh, an organization that provides food to those who face food insecurity. Talk to us about that for just a moment, because I think that's just a really cool way to be the hands and the feet, really, of God reaching into the community and building some significant relationships with others who are Mm -hmm. doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And where that all come about, of course, we still have seven, 8,000 square feet of building to develop. My idea was, again, to continue to give that space away. I've recognized a number of years ago, probably at least two years ago now, that food security is an issue. Uh, has been an issue, is an issue in Miramichi as, as it is in other places. People started coming to me and I started to ask questions around, are there any social enterprises out there that need space? And there, are there connecting points between what they're doing and what we're trying to do as Eastside Church? There really is a plan to have the rest of the space here at the Eastside Creative Center, as we call it, uh, dedicated for food security, for uh, commercial kitchens, uh, teaching kitchen, that sort of thing, perhaps a farmer's market and, and so on. So that's kind of how I got into the the food aspect of it. So I was invited onto this committee, of course, when the pandemic hit and, and there was a lot of concern around food and, you know, the supply chains and not only the under-resourced in our community, uh, but more importantly, the working poor. Uh, were they going to have enough to sustain themselves through to the end of, of this? So we really haven't done much except just offer whatever we could in the way of, of resources. Um, but just to watch the community, I got to give a shout out to Careful Beausoleil. They've leveraged their commu- community kitchen, their, their commercial kitchen there, of course, with the school being closed. And we're seeing, uh, with the help of businesses and other churches, and uh, we've contributed what we could, uh, can as well, to five, six hundred meals being served every single week, being delivered uh, right into the home to seniors and to uh, young families, single families. And so that's uh, that's been just a blessing to see the community step up in that way. As you've been talking, I've been thinking about um, the word adaptability because this time has been a blow to you guys. Uh, no longer are you able to use the Vogue Theater as a venue. You were telling me in a conversation yesterday that the the business at the coffee shop is down 70%. Those are pretty important aspects of what you're doing, and what I've seen is this adaptability over and over where you've just changed gears and you say, well, we're going to get more active Mm -hmm. in in Mm -hmm. food delivery in the homes where, where they really need it. Yeah, absolutely. See, one of the things I, I, I thought in the beginning, if we were going to reach, you know, unchurched people, then, then we couldn't have a, a traditional model where the church is being supported through, you know, offering tithes and offerings. So we kind of built the ministry very much around other revenue streams and the rentals are, are one thing and having people rent our space. The cafe, of course, is another. But who would have ever thought that those things would be decimated with a with a global <laughs> pandemic, right? I thought we were, you know, we were somewhat insulated, you know, if offering were was down a little bit on Sunday, then, you know, we would still be able to to function as a ministry and to continue to make kingdom impact. But you're right. I mean, as soon as we saw this happening, of course, as all churches did, we kind of took the steps that we needed. We knew cash flow was going to be uh, was going to be an issue. Uh, took some steps. Uh, we had to, you know, lay a few staff off and so on. We did all those 
practical things. But then we didn't want to stop being significant and mattering to the community. Uh, we never wanted to do that. April and May, we were well on our way to having two of the busiest months that we've ever had. And, and all of that is gone. A lot of the events have rebooked for the fall. And now, you know, those things might be in jeopardy. Uh, the cafe stayed open because, again, I wanted to make sure that people knew that we were still here. And, and that there was a, still a few things that they loved that were still open. Frankly, I think it probably cost us money over the last two months. But again, I, I just really felt like it was important that we continue to connect. We had a lot of uh, EMTs and doctors, uh, first responders. that They became our, our biggest customers, our clients, I guess. But yeah, adapting. What is God doing now? And how can we leverage what we, you know, the resources that we have and the people that we have and the love that we have for the community? How can we leverage that to connect with people? We're going to get back to our final leg of our conversation with Victor Summers in just a moment. And when we do, we are going to talk more about our response during the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. I think there's a tendency, you know, to listen to a guy like Victor and think that we could never do what he does. There's some truth to that, but only because we're all one of a kind. The point is not to try to be a Victor Summers, but to be who God is making you to become and to do what God is inviting you to do in serving others right where you are. In our Western culture especially, the church's existence for too long has been characterized by gathering and giving on Sundays. At least that's what we track, the number in the pew and the amount of money that's given. But what would it look like for the church to be a scattering church, infiltrating the entire community like yeast infiltrates an entire lump of bread dough? How might the church be different if we were to engage the entirety of our society, serving social needs, sowing good news wherever we are at any given time? As we begin this next segment of our interview, listen for ideas of how you can make a difference right where you are. I'll be back in about 10 to 12 minutes to wrap up and talk about some life-changing principles you can live by. There was an acquaintance that made a post on Facebook yesterday that I challenged, and uh, I don't know if you saw it or not, but it was um, that the really was lamenting that the government was mandating that churches not meet as they had before, and how dare they, because the church needs to gather. And mm -hmm. I made the comment I, that I'm not sure it's the church that gathers but I do know the church does scatter. It does go out into the community yes. to, to affect change. And uh, that was not particularly appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I do think there's a tendency to crawl into our hole and say, well, we can't gather, yeah. so we can't be the church. And in fact, this is really the time where um, it's much easier mm -hmm. to be the church if we'll just listen to the voice of God saying, come and join me. Here. Yes, yeah. From the very beginning, and it wasn't a popular. Uh, we we lost people. We we kind of had some early adopters that that had kind of connected with Eastside Church, and and then they opted out when I started talking about the church being together as much at a concert or comedy show on Saturday night as we would on Sunday morning. That really was what I wanted to see Eastside Church about: serving our community at the Vogue Theater or serving our community here at the Creative Center. That's as important to us as getting together on Sunday morning, not just attend uh, a building or a church service, but be the church in, here in Miramichi. I'm going to throw a word at you that I've not prepared you for, and it's not a uh -oh. setup, but I promise I'm it's not. not. I'm, not a, I'm not a word guy. <laughs> when I think of you, I was thinking of this just before we uh, came on. I think of the word, and uh, maybe I'm coining a word, but socialpreneur. Okay. Wow. You yes. know, uh, as social entrepreneur. Yes. You know, I, I think that's how God has wired you, yes. Victor. You're unique. Yeah, he's, I, I see that too. And I, I probably, as we talked about, you know, mom and dad in the beginning, dad was probably very much that way as well. And so, or I picked that up from him. I, I love starting things. Now, my wife would say, I would love for you to finish something before you started something else. I'm constantly going home <laughs> with, with these new ideas and thoughts and, and leanings and 
perhaps God will use me to take this ministry to the next level, and perhaps he won't. I've, I've tried to give this position that I hold away several times, and you're, Derek, you're aware of that. It's a, I consider it like Frodo in The Lord of the Rings when he has the ring, <laughs> and it's like a test. I've had several gentlemen that I said, hey, here, do you want this? You know, because I constantly want to be open to God. You know, what does God want? Does he want me to lead Eastside Church through the through this next phase, or do is there something else that, that he wants me to do? But I know that no matter what, we're going to continue to leverage the resources that we have, and we, we have underused buildings. That's what Miramichi had. <laughs> you know, it's not going to be like that in every city yep. or every town. But I suspect it is in, in a lot of cities and a lot of towns. What can the church do to leverage some of those resources? Well, and Miramichi was particularly hard hit. There were four or five pulp and sawmills yeah. that closed down. The air base closed down. I mean, it was just yes. really, really hit hard. What do the next 10 years bring for Victor Summers and life on the east side of the mm. Miramichi? <laughs> as long as you promise not to tell Jody, my wife, what I have planned. <laughs> I promise that I won't, uh, yeah, we won't allow her to download no, exactly. the podcast. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, I think, we, I think we want to continue to lean in on influencing the arts community a and this is something that I had not planned whatsoever. I consider myself, I guess, a creative person in many respects, and I think all of us are. You know, I do some yes. whittling, you know, some woodworking. I, I started making spoons. So I guess I'm <laughs> I'm kind of creative that way. I have one of your hand-carved you, you? Christmas all right. tree ornaments. Yeah, good. From the very yes. first year, from, I think, Christmas of 2011 or 2012. Well, hang on to it, yeah. Yeah. If I die... It's going to be, it's going it's going to be, be a collector's, collector's item, item someday, maybe. <laughs> but so I guess I'm creative in, in that respect, but I never imagined having a ministry that's focused on creatives. And that's what the theater has given us. This theater is a place for creatives. And I think probably as I look back and, and kind of assess, well, what is God leading us into? I think the church kind of left the creative community a number of years ago. We see that now that the byproduct of that, of course, is, is Hollywood. We're clawing back some of the influence that we lost back in probably the 50s and 60s when the church gave up mm. on Hollywood, yeah. gave up on creatives. It ought not to be that way. So this is a side of the ministry that I never expected. So we're going to continue to lean in on that. The Vogue Theater, I know we're on pause for a little bit now, but it is very quickly becoming premier uh, locale for the Maritimes, for a live music theater, a theater in New Brunswick has been here now several times. We're on their schedule for the next however many years. They love that space. Stand-up comedy, which is hilarious to me. Not because comedy is hilarious, but just because, you know, <laughs> Eastside Church is hosting stand-up comedy shows. It's a stretch for me. I've had pastors call me and just, you know, said, I'm going to warn my people about you because you should not be involved in this. And that's fine. I'm like, yeah, please don't come to the comedy show. It's, it's, it's not what you think. It's, I get very little material from my sermons on Sunday morning from the stand up on, on Saturday night. But listen, world renowned comics that travel through the Maritimes want to know me, not because I'm Pastor Victor but because I hold the keys to a really great venue that can make them a lot of money. And I'll use that if I can. I'll use that. Without fail, I get to sit knee to knee with not only stand-up comics, but musical artists and theater folks and whatever's happening over there. I get a chance to sit knee to knee with them after the show, before the show, go out to supper with them, whatever. Inevitably, the question comes up, why have you allowed me to perform? Or what is going on here? Or I hear you're a pastor. I hear this is a church. Why would you do this? That question comes up all the time. And this is like the door is flung wide open to me sharing, hey, we're doing yep. this because we love you. We're doing this because we're called as Christ followers to, to make a difference in our community. We didn't make them jump through any hoops. They didn't have to change who they were or what they said or what they did, they were just themselves, and we just serve them. It's given us, again, that, that influence that I craved, and that I think the church should crave 
in, in the lives of those who perhaps have been somewhat disowned and disenfranchised from the church. So someone comes to you and they say, hey, Victor, listen, I see you guys living out a different kind of life, and I like what I see because I don't have that same kind of sense of Mm -hmm. purpose in my own life that I'm living out. And I'm just finding that is something that's desirable. Mm -hmm. What would you say to them? Where's an on-ramp for that person? That's happened so often in the course of our ministry here. I was asked to do a memorial service for a young gal who committed suicide. And Mm. her family had made no plans for anything. And some of the teachers and students just felt that was a mistake. And so they came to me and we did it at the theater. It was kind of a neutral space, right? Last year, we just went through a an anniversary of losing four young people in a car accident uh, here. You know, because we are in the community and not necessarily in a church-type way, I mean, it happens probably every day at the cafe, and my wife, as she serves coffee, and you think, well, you know, what what kind of influence or what kind of message could you get across in, in three minutes? But I tell people, it's every day. What could you do in someone's life if you had five minutes of their time every single day, right? And so that's happened a lot, and people are people ask questions. Why do you do this? What's going on? And I start off with, this is not the way it's supposed to be, especially when tragedy comes in. You know, God had a perfect plan for us. His plan was for us to pursue Him and to pursue His best for us. And at some point, we chose to go the other way. To introduce the gospel to someone that way, and then, of course, getting to a place, which we have to, we have to get to a place where we introduce people to the cross and to the sacrifice of Jesus. We introduce people to repentance and belief in what Jesus Christ did, have people understand that they've missed the mark, and get to a place where they can start to pursue God's perfect plan for them. This happens so often just in the course of of us having influence, being socialpreneurs, is that is that the word? <laughs> just being in the community, right? And that happens so often for us, and it's just a matter of recognizing when it happens and taking opportunity for it. Of course, I never set out to start a theater or to reopen a building or two buildings or three buildings. There's another building, Derek, that I want. Um, but I never, I never set out to do that. Of course we don't, right? It's our goal to introduce people to, to a life with purpose and to a life that's eternal. So that's what we want. And that's what I want to get to. From the time that, you know, the, the artists start unpacking at the Vogue Theater, from the time that, you know, I'm in the cafe now getting my coffee and I'm looking around, I'm listening to the conversations, I'm looking for opportunity. And, and our, our people are too, those who come to Eastside Church, I tell them, listen, if you want to have an evangelistic conversation, come hang out at the coffee. There's, there's spiritual talks happening there. There's God conversations happening there all the time. And uh, so just come hang out. You know, you don't have to beat the streets or go door to door. It's happening right on this corner, you know, every single day. And so, uh, yeah, that's what I would say to that. Sounds easy, doesn't it? Just come hang out at the coffee shop. There are God conversations happening there all the time. But you know, Victor didn't start with a coffee shop. He started by engaging with something that was at the heart of the community's story. Miramichi City had underused buildings, one of which was an old movie theater. Now, that theater had been the focal point of the Chatham District in a day when the community was vibrant and alive with an air base, a power-generating station, lumber and pulp mills. The theater really was a symbol of shattered dreams. So Victor started there. He had a dream, a dream for a place the community could gather and, even for a brief time, forget about what had been lost and focus on something better. He had a dream for people to experience hope for a brighter future, so he embarked on a project to rebuild the theater from the inside out, and that project is still a work in progress today. 
He had a dream for places for people to gather, so he started Creative Grounds Coffee Shop, where, as he said, those God conversations happen all the time. He got his people involved with serving those who experience food insecurity so they might begin to dream again. He started the Shantyman podcast that focuses on familiar things to the people of the Miramichi, and he introduced gospel conversations. Now, let me just acknowledge something that you might already be thinking. Some of what Victor does in engaging the community might just make you a bit uncomfortable. Well, some things make me uncomfortable as well. But whenever you take ministry to the edge, it is bound to be uncomfortable. Victor even acknowledges his own dis-ease with a few things. So how should we respond to this episode and what we have heard? I'm really hesitant to criticize Vic and his approach to ministry, and there's several reasons for that. First, I know that God is continually stretching me to see what he is doing to advance the kingdom of heaven, and Vic just might be part of that stretching, and I, I really think he is. Secondly, Victor is reaching people who might otherwise be unreachable. Many have a negative outlook on all things church, and Victor just meets and disarms that resistance by making Jesus practical in everyday life. Thirdly, Victor and Jody continue to make big, big sacrifices to serve the people of the Miramichi, and I am so respectful of that. I admire them so much. I would much rather celebrate that commitment than to criticize him. And lastly, you know, there are things that God desires to teach me as I continue to journey with Vic. I'm certain of it. And I hope you are sensing that same thing as a result of this Lost and Found episode. Just something to think about. Well, thank you for taking time to be with us today. Before you leave the podcast, remember to subscribe and rate the podcast. And if you have questions or comments, you can connect with us in a couple of ways. First, you can drop by our website, lostandfoundpodcast.ca. Check out the resources we have there for you. There are blog articles and a number of other resources. And while you're there, make sure you register for our insider newsletter if you've not done so already. If you have questions or comments about today's episode, we would love to connect with you. Send me a note so we can begin a conversation together. Our email is hello at lostandfoundpodcast.ca, and I would love to hear from you. Finally, you can support Lost and Found by clicking on the support link at the bottom of the show notes. Our Canadian listeners can also use Interact eTransfer to hello at lostandfoundpodcast.ca. It has been a real treat for me to be able to spend this time with you today. Until the next time, this is Derek Jones wishing you an extraordinary life as you give yourself away in serving others. Music